Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Ryan Smith. He is co-founder and CEO of LeafLink. I'm excited to have this conversation, really understanding where are we as a market? What kind of data do we have? What do we really need to do to make the cannabis industry move and develop over time? LeafLink is a really interesting wholesale marketplace provider, which is really looking at you know how the industry is shaping up. How do we make this industry work? This is the exciting kind of stage we're in when cannabis is kind of as we mature and grow, all these new kind of industries and capabilities and parts of the market start to get developed. And this marketplace is really a key part of that. So I'm excited to have this conversation. With that, Ryan, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us, Bruce. So why don't we just get a little bit of background first? So I'd love to learn more about you, how you got kind of into the cannabis business, and we can talk about LeafLink and how you came up with really kind of that approach or, or that angle to the market. And then we can kind of talk about some of the issues that are going on right now and how we think, see things developing. But give us the backstory. Tell us about how you got into cannabis. Sounds great. Yeah. So started LeafLink now about four and a half years ago, coming up on year five and not too long. And background of myself. I grew up in Manhattan, in New York City, 
started another company previously in, in a different regulated space around real estate investing, equity crowdfunding, which we started built to a smaller size in LeafLink and exited. And then always have loved marketplaces, always mm-hmm. thought that, you know, been selling things on eBay since I think the, the sixth grade. And my parents would <laughs> say if, if things went missing in the house, it's probably now in Ryan's PayPal account. <laughs> I love it. And what was their cut? And I told them, don't worry about it. I'll, uh, we'll figure that out later. We're just rolling profits back into the business. Yeah, we're building something here. <laughs> and so I've, I've always loved B2C marketplaces. And I met my co-founder, Zach Silverman, who's also our CTO, a couple of years before starting LeafLink. He was at LimeWire back in the day, started and sold an ad tech company in between, and then was most recently at eBay on their enterprise team, funny enough. And yep. we just started brainstorming together about, about like why are there not more B2B marketplaces in older industries? And why is there a B2C marketplace for antique furniture, but not but not for what people are purchasing at work? Because at the end of the day, it's business to business, but it's still a human placing an order. Yeah. And then we're excited about cannabis because this is now 2015, early 2015, end of 2015, the industry was so young. No companies had really existed for more than a few years. There's really only you know Colorado on its feet in terms of a recreational market. And we thought, well, maybe there's something we can do really powerful with the forward-thinking, inherently progressive demographics that are, are in the cannabis space mm-hmm. to really instill technology from the beginning as the foundational component of how the supply chain operates. And so... I found out later, actually about a year ago, I found this out, but Zach had actually been thinking about a marketplace for cannabis for since he was in high school. Zach's a little bit older than I was. So mm. definitely been uh, ruminating on it on it yeah. for a while. And, and we flew out to Colorado and began doing some research, really just asking companies questions. At that point, it was you know, Keith Cola and Dixie and Juana and basically just asking, you know, what are your challenges? What can we build with technology to help you continue to grow your brand and power your team? Because at the end of the day, right, these are companies that deserve tools that they just weren't being served with at the time. Yeah. And what we found was how ordering and purchasing were done was through text, emails, phone calls, yeah. faxes. And so we thought, let's get everyone off the whiteboards and the SMS and online. And so that's really what gave way to LeafLink starting. Yeah. Happy to talk more on what we've done over the last four years, but it's a little background on myself and how LeafLink got started. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about the kind of the history or in terms of, you know, things that you've learned over that period. So you went from, you know, kind of going out to the market with a rough idea of, you know, some problems you wanted to solve to actually, you know, starting a company and having a solution in place. What were some of the things you learned about the way, either in terms of the market that were either kind of surprising or, you know, maybe you didn't anticipate. And then, you know, in terms of yourself and your team, in terms of the things you had to adjust or, you know, things you had to change about yourselves and how you kind of thought about the problem or as you as approached this business, you know, relative to other businesses or other industries that you've worked in? The, our clients in the space was just so massively underserved. And, and a lot of that still continues, uh, even in financial, you know, offerings and, and access to banking and, and things like that. But back five years now, and companies were not using software around data, understanding their data around CRM, client relationship management, around just ERPs, right, enterprise resource planning tools, all these things that most larger, more seasoned companies take for granted. They weren't using either because they didn't know about those things existing or because they had tried and gotten kicked off and people were getting kicked off of certain well-known accounting platforms at the time if they discovered you were in the cannabis space 
which Zach and I just thought was totally absurd, right? Like starting a, starting a company and building a team is inherently challenging. And then to do that in a space where people are just not willing to work with you and support that growth in the most basic ways really fired us up to build something interesting. And so what that meant was we really needed to start by building tools and helping educate some of our clients on what these things were and building them in a way that didn't need to be super sophisticated, right? It just needed to serve a very basic utilitarian purpose that, that these companies needed to get to operate day to day. Yeah. And so that's really, we got started. And part of the mix was we always wanted to be really focused on having a ton of respect and including individuals who truly were the pioneers, right? Before they could get a license, before all the rules were more black and white, at least at the state level. Mm -hmm. How do we bring the incredible value of that experience, that mindset, and at the same time, convert people from technology, from finance, from other verticals and bring them into the space. And really think that the marriage of those two things together is really what we learned is, is really unique because there's a, just a very wide range of sophistication in the space. And we wanted to make sure everyone could be a part of the growth. And that was something that we had very top of mind early days, but still is something we really seriously consider. Yeah. And in terms of bringing folks in from other industries, I mean, you mentioned the you know finance and technology and folks, which people successfully make that jump or make that transition and which people don't? Have you seen any just kind of, you know, success stories or the things that didn't work out so well and understanding of why that is? Because these industries are quite different. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. I've certainly seen people not make the, the jump very well. But what have you noticed in that process? Well, the cultures are so we're over 100 people now and facilitating you know, over $2 billion in transactions. But on the way to getting there was really a tech company story. And we have a ton of respect for people that preceded us in the cannabis space and having that knowledge was so important. But I think the culture of our company, if I had to segment it, I'd say it really is like we are a, a fast growing technology company. We are a venture backed, quickly moving, you know, break things quickly, whatever the saying is, just continue to move forward. Whereas I think some people enter the space or think looking to enter new roles at companies in the space, assuming that there's a culture different than that, maybe more casual, more just laid back than how we think about, you know, how quickly we need to move, how professional we need to be, how serious we are and the value we're bringing to our clients and every day continue to push the envelope on that. Whereas there have been companies that are in the space for potentially some of the wrong reasons, right? Maybe there are certain companies that aren't really a tech company, aren't, aren't operating that way, are more interested in just the product itself, you know, and I mean, back in the day when we were first raising money, there were articles in, in TechCrunch about cannabis companies that had smoking rooms, you know, on. <laughs> I love that you're laughing because we were always laughing at that, right? Like how yeah. totally absurd to how can you really service your clients if that's yeah. what it is? So we were always, you know, looking to be more professional, more polished than than, than needed just to change the, that concept of what's happening in the space. Yeah. And so explain how for one of your customers now, like how does the platform work? What do you facilitate? How have you kind of solved, you know, the the problem or what problem have you solved for folks and how have you gone about solving it? We've gone really deep B2B wholesale transactions. And so what that means is connecting retailers and brands. So retailers, licensed dispensaries, we're serving four to five in the country, over 5,000 doors now are on the platform. And the way it works is if you're a purchasing manager at one of those retail locations, you can go on LeafLink and shop over 1,500 brands. Obviously, each state is a market in and of itself, but in grand total, over 1,500 brands. 
mm-hmm. and add them to one card. So usually a purchasing manager will be buying between 30 and 50 brands every week or two, and mm-hmm. they can add them all to one card based on the compliant license structures, hit submit, and then all those orders are sent out as POs to the brand or distributor sell side of the platform. Then we have tools that help the sellers manage the lifecycle of the order all the way through acceptance, package, fulfillment, shipping, the whole bunch of data things tied in there as well. But really we're the back end of the supply chain and creating the structure between those deals. Got it. So you don't actually take possession of any goods or any either plant-based goods or other goods. You're really just managing the data and the order processing parts of it. Exactly. Everyone that's on the platform is a third-party user of the software, and we never are plant-touching. It's always ancillary technology provider. Yeah. And tell us about the growth of the platform. I find that these kind of marketplace platforms, you know, kind of go through this tipping point of, you know, trying to get enough kind of product, you know, vendors, you know, buyers and sellers on there to kind of make the whole thing work. What's been your experience in terms of how did it begin? What were you doing to kind of get that amped up? And then when did you notice that you started to have that kind of network effect take place in the system? Yeah. So we brought the platform live in March and on our first organic order went through the platform between a retail and a brand then. I mean, the, the first orders were before that really just forced. I mean, I would be with one of our sell side clients, one of our sales team members would be with the, the retailer and we'd track the order all the way through more or less having the hand on on their hand, on the mouse, clicking through mm-hmm. the, the purchases. And then over the last four years, we've grown a bunch. The goals in twenty in 2017, or sorry, the goals in 2016 were to move $100 million in transactions and then $500 million. And so now we've always focused on the GMV, the gross merchandise volume of the value of the products going through the platform. And right now we're moving just south of $200 million a month, so around $2.3 billion run rate of, of GMV on the marketplace, which we think is around 20, 21% of all legal wholesale cannabis on the platform. I think the moment that we really started to see that the pinwheel, as you said, moving was less on transactional value, more on when we had clients beginning to say to us, you know, we're in Colorado, love to open up in Oregon or in Oregon, love to open up in California. And just seeing the, the commitment and how much value we're bringing to both buyers and sellers on the platform that they wanted us to grow with them was really powerful because then as they scaled, we scaled together. And I think it's one of the unique parts of how new the space is that we can actually do that in tandem, both as effectively startups in a startup space. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because, you know, a platform marketplace, you know, the kind of the benefit or at least, you know, one of the benefits of the business model is that you can, you know, aggregate, you know, all these different buyers and all these sellers. But yet we have this kind of state by state market. Mm-hmm. How have you had to kind of design your platform to deal with the regulatory context that we operate within? Yeah, so we're, we're really ton of respect for regulators and really work closely <laughs> with them, of course, right? Like the only way this works is if everyone is transparent and compliant as they can be. So yeah. although numbers and permissions of licenses change, formats change, pretty much every state has a publicly available license list of who can be operating in that market. And so what we've built on the platform in the back end is when you join, if it's, you know, Bruce Dispensary, yeah. you put in your license, we verify it against the publicly available state information, know that you're in good standing, and then give you access to the platform. But your license, if it's an Oklahoma license, let's say, or a Washington license or California, could only then interact with licenses in that same territory. So 
California can't see Colorado and vice versa. And what that means is we've had to create liquidity in every single territory yeah. in the marketplace because we really are a collection of marketplaces over exactly. over 26 of them now, which is a unique challenge. And we've done very many times at this point that the chicken or the egg and being <laughs> that, but yeah, that's how we've grown. Yeah. And I'm just kind of curious strategically, you know, having been a technologist for many years, you know, in terms of how you've modeled the data and all this, like, you know, we kind of have these grumblings or this constantly kind of moving forward milestone of getting federal legalization passed. I mean, how does the game change for you? If and when we have federal legalization, how do you pivot or how do you adjust? Yeah. Well, I think there's at least two ways, like the ones that we think about most. There's there's potentially this beautiful moment of if it was made federally legal, that Imagine all those mark, all the walls coming down between yeah. those states, and then all the discovery and new relationships and transactions that could happen between companies who never even knew of each other, or maybe just distantly had heard, you know, names. Now mm-hmm. they can do business together. That could be exciting. I think the more likely outcome, and this could be a totally different answer for a year from now, if you ask me again. I think the more likely outcome, what we'll see is. I think specifically with coronavirus, the number of states that are just fully maxed out on their unemployment checks they're cutting, I think it's going to show there's going to be a windfall of states going legal in the next 18 months just to figure out how they're going to cover those negative balances on the amount of things they've had to put out to support their constituents. And so I think what's probably going to happen is once we get, and we're not far off from 20 recreational, 2025, if half the states in the US are recreational legal, it's just negligence at that point for the federal government not to at least say, you know what, we're going to deschedule this product. It's give us our three or 5% taxes, right? Mm-hmm. And then every state, I think liquor in a similar way is highly regional. Every yeah. region that's already figured out your rules and they've been in place three to five years, you do your thing. You regulate as you see fit. We just want to make sure there's track and trace, right? And give us our piece. I think that's probably the more likely outcome of it all because- for the federal government to step in, set national regulations, and effectively then overturn at that point 20 to 25 half of states that have fought really hard to figure it out on their own, I just think that's a gargantuan effort. And so I think that's the more likely way we go, but who knows? Yeah, yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, who knows? Yeah, lots of strategic plans with lots of uh, <laughs> conditional scenarios mapped out on these things. So in terms of, I mean, one of the things I love about marketplaces, right, is you get people ordering, you're capturing that order information, and you can start to look at trends and insights and data, you know, data comes insights. What are some of the things that you are able to kind of glean or understand about the market or as you've kind of built up this, you know, reasonably significant amount of the overall industry happening through your platform? What are some of the things you look at? What are some of the data that you like to capture and insights that you like to develop as this market matures? Mm-hmm. So it, funny to say the word insights, we actually recently launched LeafLink Insights, which is a data offering that allows clients to go even deeper on their own data sets called My Business Intelligence or Marketscape, which is our second product that allows companies to really distill down and make deci- smarter decisions based on what's happening in their territory on pricing, quantity, market share, concepts like that. So we have all that information just based on pricing, whatever's put in by the, the sell side companies onto yeah. their menus. Uh, one general pattern we've seen across the very many states we're in now at this point is as markets mature, it seems as though margins continue to tighten around particularly flour. And so I think mm-hmm. when you look at earlier markets, it's pretty much all flour, except you know places like New York that are doing it backwards. But 
Normally, there's a high margin on that product. That is primarily what's being sold. And then as the market becomes more competitive and additional licenses are released, and really the supply chain becomes more free commerce, people specialize in being a retailer, being a brand, being a distributor, being a logistics provider. We then see closer companies become more focused on building CPG, really branded products. Mm-hmm. I think that's where they begin to gain their margin once there's just more players in the space. And we've seen that in a lot of different markets, definitely in Colorado and Nevada and places like California and Arizona, just heavily branded products are really common there. And Michigan's actually our second largest market now. And so that's one progression we've seen. I think other really timely observation is the space is incredibly resilient, right? Everyone knows that just because for so many reasons, you have to be so dynamic and really willing to take a beating day in, day out. They say like one year, seven in cannabis, but (laughs) it's like dog years. (laughs) Yeah, dog years or crazier. But during coronavirus, We've actually seen, I think as a testament to that resilience, incredibly higher numbers than ever in the last four plus years on LeafLink. So the last 90 days, each of the three months have been our, we call them best months ever, and not even by a small mark, but by a really significant margin. And a lot of that started, well, it started right before most states deemed the industry essential, but we saw, just to give you some look back on numbers here, in February... We did around $140 million in, in GMV. And then in March, we broke $180 million. And there was some real panic buying, right? March 16th, second mm-hmm. half of March. People weren't sure if the space was going to be essential. Yeah. But what's really interesting is we thought, well, maybe this almost 40% growth is just an anomaly and it will go back down to normal. And April was a little bit lower, around 170. That's usually what we see because 420, people are selling through their inventory, yeah. more focused on selling retail than buying wholesale. But then in May, we saw bit bigger numbers than even March. And wow. so it's interesting to, and I think this month we, we were potentially breaking 200 million in GMV, which is really crazy. I mean, we were doing 110 million in November of last year. And yeah. so what we're trying to make sense of is it seems like whether you're home, whether you're out, whether you're happy or I don't know who's happy at this moment in the, <laughs> in the world, but or upset, people yeah. are buying more cannabis and they're self-medicating. And I do wonder how much of that sticks because people are, have to use the technology now and people are not you know, doing sales in person as much as they were six months ago. Mm-hmm. And I think that the space has really come, it's entering a new level where maybe it'll pair back a bit, but if anything, we're seeing really exceptional numbers across all the states that we're operating in. And it's even cool to see certain patterns in like Nevada, where Nevada was one of the only markets that was down in March and April but really popping back strongly in May because obviously a lot so much, you know, tourism is a huge factor in those numbers yeah, around exactly. Vegas. Yeah. But generally speaking, yeah, crazy growth, resilient growth in the space over this whole corona experience. Do you have any sense if this is existing users using more, new users moving to the market, users moving from black market to white market? I mean, is there any underlying insights that you've looked into or yeah. any way that you've been able to kind of We're know? still trying to make sense of it. And one thing yeah. that we're focused on getting more clarity on is because we're deeper in the supply chain, you know, we're friendly with all the POS systems and yeah. the ones that just do data in the space. And they have a lot of that B2C information. So we've been talking to a few of them on maybe there are ways we could tie Anonymize in users or something. the complementary yeah, data sets that we have to make sense of more of that. But yeah, I mean, frankly, we're still trying to make sense of some of these numbers as okay. well on the B2B side. Yeah. Anything about types of products being sold or shifts you've seen in terms of, you were mentioning flour, but like edibles, types of edibles, you know, other formats. Is any interesting 
trends or changes that you've seen and from that side of things? If you, I mean, this feels like a million years ago now, but if you remember the, the vape crisis, yeah. when that was happening. Three, like three crises ago. <laughs> yeah, it's like losing track. But yeah. a lot of the you know cartridges are some of the most commonly sold products in it's probably a third of the states that we operate in, particularly states like, you know, Maryland and Michigan, Oklahoma, and, and Washington as well. We saw huge drops in a lot of those. And what that actually meant was then just more flour being purchased. I think now with, we're still actually, we're putting together white paper right now, but some yeah. of the inklings we have are that there's been less purchasing of flour around coronavirus and just the concept of inhaling. And so, I think it's just one more push towards these edible THC infused alternate delivery method products, which frankly, how much of that is even based on, you know, the world we're in today versus I think generally speaking, people are going towards whatever the healthier alternatives are. Yeah. But that's a pretty uniform pattern we've seen across the very many markets we're in. Yeah. Yeah. I had a theory for a little while that a lot of it was because everyone's at home <laughs> and you can't light up at home. Like everyone was like figuring out they're like home with their wives and kids and husbands exactly. and stuff like that. It's like, it's going to be a lot easier to do an edible format sure that's than a it factor. is. Yeah. No, interesting kind of factors that going into the market. I mean, in terms of the platform, what's on your kind of product roadmap that you can tell us about? Like as you kind of see, you know, what needs to happen next, you mentioned the insights, you mentioned some of the marketplace stuff, you know, mm -hmm. aggregating that data, providing back to your users so they can make better buying decisions, either, yep. you know, based on their own pr product order history, but also in terms of market information. I mean, how do you see this being used? Where do you see the product evolving to? So the, the overall marketplace product and our guiding light is the LeafLink triangle, as we say, and it really has, I mean, three points, right? So the first is liquidity, which we've talked a lot about here, the transactions between buyers and sellers. Mm -hmm. Second is payments and third is logistics. So if we were a marketplace for shoes, right, we would just plug in Stripe or PayPal or name the very many different payment yeah. providers. But as you know, and I'm sure your listeners know, that's off limits for us because it's off limits for our clients. And so we've spent a ton of time building out a team and a product to facilitate payment called LeafLink Financial. And then also around logistics, one of the most common complaints we hear from clients is items showed up missing certain units, the wrong SKU, the, they're late, they're early, there's no communication. And so we've really spent a ton of time after closing the Series B in the fall in investing in and building teams out around those two pain points because at the end of the day, they're so, na they're so natural to the checkout process on a marketplace and we want to bring that same level of process structure to the checking out process in our space, even though it's so historically massively underserved. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like that's systemic problems in the industry right now that if you can start solving those, we'll have major impacts in terms of how, you know, how successful we're able to kind of grow and shape this market. Yeah. And some of the things too, even around payments specifically aren't even specific to our market, right? We need to simplify how people move capital. But there are other things that other industries deal with, like net terms and ARAP consolidation and you know past cash flows that are exceedingly strained by just sloppy management. Mm -hmm. Those things are we're building into the, the payment function so that we can, I mean, process and structure is just kind of our, our whole MO, but that's what we're trying to build into the, the client experience of being on LeafLink, checking out, buying or selling. Yeah. So we mentioned the kind of federal legalization, kind of open question, how that is going to impact things. Any other kind of regulatory or overall kind of governing issues around the market that you see either need to be 
revised, you know, changed significantly that from your point of view would really help the cannabis industry either in terms of, you know, working better, growing faster, being fairer? Like, what do you see in terms of the things that you would love? If I gave you a magic wand and you could change any part of the, kind of the industry or the regulatory side of the industry, what would it be and why? I'd wish for regulators, politicians to talk to each other more across territories. So one a good example of that is I think the governor of New York, Cuomo, got together with the governor of New Jersey and Connecticut for basically a think tank on how each of the three states, when they do go legal, will have regulations in sync with the other because they know that it's just going to be a factor of people traveling, right? Things will cross state lines. Yeah. And I think that's great because longer term, we need to have some semblance of like some template structure state to state so that if we ever want states to be able to transact with each other, if even on the business to business side, there needs to be some similarity in how they're thinking about it. But right now we're seeing a lot of states think that they're doing something completely novel, even though it's been done a dozen times before on going recreational legal or, you know, over two dozen times on some type of medical program. And it's just like, speak to each other because potentially you don't need to reinvent the wheel here, right? Like there have been mistakes made. There are things you can build into making your system without all the pain points that a state like Colorado went through in their first three to five years. I think more communication is the way to go. And it's almost like, I mean, it's obviously the role of what normally the federal government would do, which is here's the baseline rules that everyone needs to follow. But because that doesn't exist and they're so behind at the federal level, I think states and regulators do take it upon themselves to look beyond just the immediate, their immediate neighborhood to what they can be building to provide a good experience for business owners and consumers and patients in their markets. Yeah, that's excellent. Ryan, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about LeafLink, what's the best way to get that information? Feel free uh, to visit us at leaflink.com, L-E-A-F-L-I-N-K, or you can shoot uh, a note at info at leaflink.com. Happy to reach out. Have a ton of jobs posted currently. Team's growing really quickly and always love connecting with amazing people looking to to find the space with us. So you know, feel free to connect. Yeah, uh, that's great. I appreciate all the work that you're doing and helping the industry you know, evolve and grow, you know, as this industry or as the market grows, you know, that all the new entrants kind of developing new technologies, new platforms, new marketplaces. I think it's great what you're doing. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, great getting together, Bruce. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.